Well, if you'll turn in a copy of God's Word to Genesis chapter 13, we'll continue this morning our series on the life of Abram, or Abraham, as he'll be renamed in Genesis 17. He's still Abram this morning, but I'm sure I'll refer to him as Abraham many times. Uh, We're going to read all of Genesis 13. Hear now the word of the Lord. So Abram went from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great, they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. It's not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. And if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what do we do when we mess up big? What do we do when we fall into unbelief? What do we do when we have fallen back into the same old sins? Or perhaps find ourselves deep in the consequences of some really bad decisions? What do we do? Well, we repent. And we run to Jesus. This is what Abram does in our text. He runs back to God. Last week, we saw him make the terrible decision out of unbelief to leave the promised land, doubting God's provision and doubting God's promises, and heading into Egypt, walking by sight rather than by faith. And and by the end of our passage, Sarai had ended up the wife of Pharaoh for a little while. And God had used the the pagan, heathen, self-identifying as a God Pharaoh to rebuke Abram and to drive him back to the promised land. For those who are truly converted, this is what the Holy Spirit does in our hearts. He, he makes us miserable when we are living in sin, showing us our need for forgiveness and sometimes bringing discipline upon us when we fail to repent right away or at all. 
God had given Abram a swift kick in the pants and said, get back to the promised land, boy. This is not where you need to be. Have you ever been to Egypt when you were supposed to be in the promised land? Have you ever run away from God even while he was pursuing you? We all have done this. And the question is, what do we do when this happens? We run to Jesus. We repent and turn back to him. We've all messed up many times. We've fallen on our faces because of the sin that comes from our mouths, our motives, and our actions. And so we would do well here to follow the example of Abram and run quickly to God. Our text begins in verse 1, dealing with the long trip from Egypt to the Negev, or Negev. Negev just means south. Uh, It's the south part of, uh, of Israel, of the promised land. And it's a long trip, certainly in miles, but I don't think it was that long, not just beca- I don't think it was long just because the miles, or even just the logistics of having to deal with moving so many people and so many herds with him, I think it was longer, certainly because the emotions that must have been going on in Abram's heart. God had had to humble Abram, to bring him low, to use the unrighteous Pharaoh to rebuke him. See, Abram was meant to be the most righteous person in the world. He was the chosen vessel through whom God was going to bring into existence his very plan for the entire universe, to save a people to himself, and then to use those people to save the nations, right? That the Jew and the Gentile, there may not be any uh, distinction between the two, ultimately pointing to the coming of Jesus, and we are now sons of Abraham. This was a big plan. And where was Abram? He was in Egypt, running away from God when he was supposed to be in the promised land. And God had had to humble him to bring him back. But you know, this really is the evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When God works in our lives to bring us back to him, we've all run. Perhaps you're running now. God had brought what we might call a harsh mercy Abram. You know, it it reminds me of Peter, right, when he had denied Christ three times. And, and, you know, in in the, I think it's the Luke account, maybe it's the Matthew account, it says, and then Jesus looked at him. And there's that moment where, where Peter realizes what he has done. And I'd like to think that's what happens with Abram. When he is rebuked by Pharaoh, what is this you have done to me? Why didn't you tell me this was your wife? Why did you let me marry her? Get out. And so he went with his tail between his legs, heading back home, heading back to the promised land. And y'all, this was a great mercy of God. This is God's promise to his people, that when we run from him, he will, by his Holy Spirit, call us and calls us to return to him. See, God had entered into this relationship with Abram, not because Abram deserved it, but rather because of God's love and grace. And this is the same way that he has entered into relationship with with you and with me, if you're a believer in Christ. And, And God is committed to preserving our faith. He is committed to this thing called sanctification to make us more and more like his son, our Savior, Jesus. And so this means that he is going to cause us to turn to him when we run, just as he did for Abram. And so God rescues Abram. He rescues Abram from himself. 
don't you need rescuing from yourself often? I know I do. I say, oh my, I didn't know that was in my heart. I can't believe I thought that. I can't believe I did that. Lord, thank you for rescuing me from myself. I'm talking after conversion. This is what God did for Abram. Well, in verses 3 through 4, we find that Abram continues his journey. He goes to the Negev first, the southern part, and he continues his journey back to the place where he began in, uh, in the Promised Land, the area between Bethel and Ai, where he had built an altar to the Lord. And this is vitally important. He had been humiliated. He had been humbled. He had been disciplined. And what did he do? He ran to Jesus. He ran to the Lord. Rather than being prideful, he, it leads him to praise, right? Whether than, rather than worry about what all the, those folks in the promised land were going to think about him, because, you know, this would have been very public, very public. You can imagine those Canaanites saying, you know that guy who came down out of nowhere from Haran, I think he said he was from, and he, and he started worshiping this God we'd never heard of? Where did he go? And then he shows back up, and they start asking questions. Where have you been, Abram? And where's all this wealth coming from? And Abram would have had to, told him, had to tell them what had happened. But instead of worry, it leads him to worship. Worshiping God for the fact that the promises are yes and amen, ultimately in Christ. And that God had a commitment to his plan and to his salvation, to Abram's salvation, that went far beyond whether Abram had a good day or a bad. That's good news, isn't it? That God's commitment to you goes beyond whether you're having a good day or a bad day? Oh, I need that, don't you? I don't, sometimes I don't know which side of the bed to wake up on because a lot of times they both seem like the wrong side. Do you have those days? And so he returns back to the altar that he had built, and he calls on the name of the Lord, which had been a public thing. You didn't pray in private. You didn't pray silently. He would have publicly proclaimed his love for God and publicly pro- proclaimed his repentance. And he would have offered a sacrifice to the Lord on this altar, which means just like us, we who are his spiritual descendants, he believed in the forgiveness of sins. He believed in the forgiveness of sins. Y'all, we will never run back to Jesus if we do not believe in the forgiveness of sins. And I'm not just talking about our initial forgiveness, right? In one sense, we can say all of our sins, past, present, and future, have been forgiven in Christ, paid for Him. But there is still that, that separation that comes between us and God and us and others when we sin. And if we don't think that, that God is ready to forgive us, we will never run to Him. But Abram ran back to God. He believed in the forgiveness of sin. You know, Abram knew a little bit, and we know more. Monuments are an important thing, aren't they? They're important to our nation. They're important to us as individuals. They remind us of stuff in the past that has ongoing ramifications for life. And so what we make monuments about, those things are important. It's not something to do willy-nilly. And so he had gone back to the altar that was there, this monument where sacrifices will be made. It's a monument that that there is forgiveness of sin available. And we have a greater monument, don't we? It's called the empty tomb. See, the tomb is still empty. 
And whether we know the real tomb of Christ or not, I think there are five, six, or twelve of them in Israel if you go and visit. Whichever one is the right one, right? The fact is the tomb is still empty. Which means our sins are still forgiven. That really does mean that we can have a renewed relationship with God when we run. It's not like all of a sudden it's over and done and there is no hope. In fact, it is when we have run and we, we see His mercies greater that often our relationship with God goes deeper than it ever was before. See, unlike Jairus' daughter, right? Jesus would never go back into the grave. Unlike Lazarus, right? He would never be wrapped up again in the cloths. And unlike the son of the widow of Nain, Jesus wouldn't be reburied. He remains alive. This is our monument. This is where we think of, where we run when we need to be reminded of God's love and the forgiveness that we have in Christ. But let me tell you more about what God tells you when you're running. 1 John 1, 9, what does it say? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We will never turn to God, we will never renew our relationship with Him unless we see His loveliness. This is what He offers to you, cleansing, just like He offered to Abram. One of those great words in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. Do you remember these? Come to me, all you who uh, labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls Does your soul need rest today? There's a franticness to life when we are running from Him, when the peace of Christ is not dwelling richly within us, just like there would have been for Abram. And what a sweet release it must have been to finally come to that altar, renew his relationship with Jesus. What about you? Do you need to renew your relationship with Christ? Perhaps it's sin, I don't know, but maybe it's just apathy. Maybe it's the routine of life. Maybe it's distraction, maybe it's busyness. There are so many intimacies, excuse me, so many enemies to intimacy with Christ, aren't there? Christ stands ready to renew your relationship with Him. Run to Him. You know, it's important that we do business with God and with others quickly. Because the reality is that while we may tarry and while we may wait, life still goes on, doesn't it? It doesn't stop. It just keeps moving. And and tests come into our lives. Trials come into our lives, and and when we are running from God, when we are not having that intimacy with Christ for which we were designed, then we are not enabled and ready to meet the trials before us. You'll remember we were going through James on Wednesday nights, and it says, you know, for those who lack wisdom, let him ask. God, he's going to give generously. He, He gives without reproach, but yet may he ask in faith, right, not doubting. So when we are walking deeply with Christ, we are ready to meet trials, or far readier than otherwise. And we have a picture in our text of a test that comes Abram's way immediately after 
uh, he renews his relationship with the Lord. And, and, and the fact that he has renewed his relationship with the Lord utterly changes how he meets this trial and tribulation, this test that comes his way. And the test is that of wealth. A lot of times we don't think of wealth as a test, but actually Scripture says a lot about wealth being a test. The, the test here is that God had actually used Abram's sin of heading into Egypt to provide for him financially. So much so that here is this nomad coming out of Egypt, and we're told that he has a lot of money. He has silver and gold. Nomads didn't have silver and gold. Their wealth was made up in herds. But he had great herds too, and not just him, but also Lot, his nephew. Lot had been blessed by God as well because he is connected to the line of promise. He's connected to Abram, uh, the vessel through whom God has chosen to bless the nations. Well, the problem is that as they come back to the promised land of Canaan, the good fields, the good pastures had been taken by the folks who already lived there, the Perizzites and the Canaanites. There just wasn't enough land to go around. And this led to strife. This led to conflict between the two herds or herdsmen of the flocks of Abram and of Lot. Abram shines forth in great faith. See, having a renewed relationship with God, he is able, enabled by the Spirit to walk by faith and not by sight. And his behavior here, it, it is in stark contrast to how he handled the, Egypt, the issue with Egypt. In fact, it points us straight to Jesus, where he is described in Philippians 2, 3, and 4, where Paul says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Look, not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is what Christ did, right? where he considered our interests, our needs more significant and worth the pain and the price of our salvation at Calvary. And here is Abram. He is the patriarch. He is the chosen one. Lot has been blessed just because he's connected to Abram. You know, just like Christ deserved all honor and glory and power and dominion both then and now, and yet he laid down his life for those who trust in him, this is what Abram does. He sets aside his own rights for the rights and for the good of Lot. See, Lot had all this stuff because he was connected to Abram, but his response was ingratitude. What should have Lot done at this point when his herdsmen are getting caught up with the, or, you know, are getting um, entangled with the herdsmen of Abram? He should have said, okay, guys, guys, listen, listen, listen. Abram's the guy. We're here because of him. If we need to slaughter these herds, then we'll do it, right? He's the one we're going to honor. He's the important one. Praise God for Abram that we get to hang out with him and, and we get blessed because of him. Instead, he seems to egg them on. He could have stopped these herdsmen. It's kind of like if you have a computer. A computer is connected by a power cord to the wall, and the computer says, you know, I really don't like that power cord. I don't want anything to do with you. Get away from me. And so you disconnect the power cord and you throw it away. What happens to the computer? It loses all blessing, right? <laughs> the blessing of power. That's what, that's what Lot's doing here. He's walking by sight rather than by faith. 
Now, Abram could have done a lot of here. He, he is the patriarch. His, his word is law. He could have had all those herds slaughtered. He could have banished Lot. He could have taken all, all that stuff over, but he doesn't. He does something that is almost unbelievable. Look at verses 8 and 9 in your text. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. And if you take the right, then I will go to the left. Do you see what he just did? He offers the promised land to Lot. It says the land. Definite article. The land. It's not the land before you. He offers the promised land of Canaan to Lot. Lot didn't deserve it. It's clear that his relationship with Lot... Kinsman is how it's uh, translated in ESV, or brother is in Hebrew, is far more important to him than material possessions. One commentator put it this way, the situation was right, right for strife and conflict, and at other times would have naturally turned into such. But Abram's faith showed that there was a better way in solving a potential conflict, the way of self-renunciation. You know, last week we saw Abram walking by sight, turning his back on God and heading into Egypt. Now, however, with the renewed faith, he is walking by faith. That which God had given to him, God would continue to give to him. That which God had promised to him, no one could take away. And so he's enabled to be generous and to offer the very promised land to Abram, excuse me, to Lot. But Lot doesn't respond like Abe does, does he? He does not seek to follow the delight of God's standards or put the rights or the good of others before his own. He looks out over the land and he appears, and he chooses that which appears to be good. Verse 10, And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. Now Moses is a pretty good writer under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. There's a clear tie here to Genesis chapter 3 to what Eve did in the Garden of Eden. Notice what, what Lot does. He lifted up his eyes and saw. What did Eve do? She looked and she saw that that fruit was good to eat. See, they both chose something from sight rather than by faith because here was the problem. He was going to be living in an area that was going to lead to his downfall. There was a price that was going to be paid. He chose what looked good to his eyes, but spiritually was a great detriment. We're told here in verse, uh, verse 10, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 12 and 13, Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Everyone's a sinner, right? Everyone's fallen short of the glory of God. We continue to sin. This is why we need Christ Jesus and his atoning sacrifice by his blood. But this is a phrase that we find nowhere else in Scripture. Wicked, comma, great sinner. Nowhere else does appear. It seems that the men of Sodom were well known for being in opposition to the Lord. And apparently their sin had reached a new low, unparalleled in their culture. And where was Lot going? Well, first, he's going to be as far as Sodom. He's going to pitch his tent outside. 
Oh, that's pretty safe. You know, I'm not going to deal with them. You know what happens in, cha- in chapter 14? He's living in Sodom. In Genesis chapter 19, he's an elder in Sodom. And God will have to save Lot through Abram's intercession. This is a warning to us all because here's the thing. Second Peter says that Lot was a Christian. He was a believer. He was a righteous man. It would be easy to say Lot wasn't saved, but Abram was. Here was a believer who had made some really bad decisions. Abe had turned and he had run back to God and renewed his faith. And Lot had continued to run from God. And God had to use a lot of worse stuff to get Lot back to a renewed walk with him. Our text ends in verses 14 through 18 with God renewing his promises to Abram once more. Nothing new here is said that we don't get in chapter 12, but it is expanded. First, we're told that the land is going to belong to his offspring forever and that his offspring are going to be so numerous that it is the dust. If you could count the dust of the earth, so you could count your offspring. You couldn't even count this dust on Abram's sandal. Right? So what's he talking about? He's talking about the great offspring that will come through Abram. First, the physical line, right? The son of promise, Isaac, and then all the Jews that come from him. But then also Jesus, the Messiah, will come through his line. But ultimately he's talking about us, y'all. His spiritual offspring. For we are the sons of Abram by faith. And we share in the promises that God has made to Abram. So here's the thing. God's promises continue to get better and better and better. And what Abram knew, we know better. And what Abram was given, we have been given so much more. And there's one promise that has not happened yet. The day when the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the day when our Messiah, our Lord, and our God will return. And when he does, he will bring his kingdom in its fullness, which will never end. And we will see our Savior face to face. So how do we land this plane? This text is a great text where we are reminded that God is gracious, loving, abounding in steadfast love. He is slow to anger. He is quick to forgive. And the price for our forgiveness has been paid in Christ Jesus and by His blood and by His resurrection. Which then is the reason we can renew our relationship with God. We are called to renew it on a daily basis. We are called to renew it on a weekly basis as we join together to worship God. But we're also called to renew our relationship when we realize that we've run and we need to run to God. And God stands ready. His arms open wide. To all those who will come to Him, first in salvation if you've never been saved, but two, if you need to do business with God, He welcomes you and He loves you. And as we have these renewed relationships with the Lord, He equips us and enables us to meet the trials like Abram and Lot faced. He enables us by His grace to to meet those things with faith instead of by sight. Finally, even as we trust that the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus and the best is still yet to come. Christy and I attended the, um, it's called the Sing Conference. It's Kristen and Keith Getty. They wrote in Christ Alone and How Deep the Father's Love for Us. Um, we attended a worship conference at the beginning of this week. 7,200 people singing. 
And it was so loud that you could not hear yourself sing. And I kept thinking, this is amazing, and heaven is going to be even better. And I yearn for that day when Christ comes and makes all things new. And all these things that we've said are important in this world, we'll finally see them in their right light. So we look now to the day when all His promises have been fulfilled, and we stand in the new heavens and the new earth. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the great promises that we have in Christ, the promise of renewed relationships with you and with others. We thank you, Father, that you stand ready to, to love, and for, or you, you do love, Lord, you stand ready to forgive and to restore us to the joy of our salvation. So, Lord, I pray that we would keep uh, short accounts with you and others, that we might be equipped to meet trials of various kinds, even as we yearn for the day when all these promises are finally and fully fulfilled when Christ has come again. We pray these things in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen.